You are listening to the Best in Wealth Podcast, episode number 159. This is the Best in Wealth Podcast, a show for successful family stewards who want real answers about wealth and investing so we can feel secure about our family's future. At the Best in Wealth Podcast, we think differently about wealth and investing, and you should too. Well, hello everyone. My name is Scott Wellens, and I am your host of the Best in Wealth Podcast. Now, this is a show dedicated to helping real people, that is you, my friend, build real wealth so together we can take family stewardship to the next level. I am a certified financial planner, an educator, a fiduciary, a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro, and a wealth advisor. It is great to be with you today. And today's topic is know your benchmark. But before we get into that, just a couple of things. If you are interested in today's podcast, go back and read the show notes at bestinwealth.com. You'll find episode number 159. You'll find any links that we've talked about today. You'll find all past episodes, and there'll be a button at the top of the screen that says work with me. If you're interested in what I have to say in any of my podcasts, you click that button, you schedule a 15-minute call with me only so that we can have a quick discovery call to see if I could potentially add value to your life. All right. The other thing I want to talk about today is buyer beware. Have you gotten recently an email or a Facebook post, targeted Facebook post about some big investment that you should make either in a newsletter or some sort of course that is going to teach you how to find the very best stocks or some mechanical way to find the best stocks so you can get rich quick. A lot of clients, a lot of friends have gotten these recently. They've been around for a long, long time but more have cropped up recently. And if you have been considering investing in a newsletter or a course to get you rich fast, I want you to think about a couple of things before you buy. The first is, what is the motivation behind the email, this person sending the email or the Facebook post? Their motivation is not for you to get rich. Sorry, it's not. They'd like you to get rich, but that's not the motivation. It's to sell the course, to sell the newsletter. The more courses they sell, the more newsletters they sell, the richer they will become. That's the motivation. The second thing you need to find out before purchasing is asking and figuring out, is this person that has the keys to my financial future, are they a fiduciary? Are they bound, legally bound to act in your best interest? And the answer is for most of these types of what I call schemes, the answer is no. In fact, very close to 100%, the answer is no. So they can say things that a fiduciary like me can't say. I can't guarantee anything to anybody because that is goes against my oath of being a fiduciary. The other thing that you need to ask yourself is if they're not a fiduciary, because they probably aren't, 
Why are they injecting fear? Because usually in these emails to try and get you to buy something, two things happen. First, they get you freaked out. They get you freaked out by talking about how the world is ending or your 401k is horrible or your IRA is horrible. And we're going to teach you how to invest differently because you're doing it all wrong or your current advisor is doing it all wrong. And then second, they want to get you to act very, very quickly. If you buy now and hit the button now, this course isn't going to cost you $3,000. It's only going to cost you $2,000. Now, that is not what a fiduciary would ever do, inject fear and then rush you to a decision. And finally, you need to ask yourself, if this person's got the keys to the palace, if they have these guaranteed huge returns year in or year out, or at least most years, why the heck are they wasting their time selling a newsletter to make a few hundred thousand dollars or a few million dollars? Because if they're going to average really high returns, they're going to be the richest person in the world in a very short period of time even if you're starting with very little money. If I had the keys to 20, 30% returns just about every year, I am not wasting my time generating a newsletter or a course to teach you to do exactly what I'm doing. So your best course of action when you get an email like this or a Facebook post like this is to hit delete Let's get to the topic of the day. All right, here we go. Know your benchmark. When we watch the news, when we listen to the radio, we always hear about three benchmarks. The Dow Jones, the S&P 500, and the NASDAQ. Those are indexes. Those are benchmarks. Nothing you can invest in, just a representation of what these companies in the benchmark, in the index, would represent from a return perspective. Now, how are these indexes made up? The Dow Jones, 30 companies only. Large companies representing several sectors within the United States, but only 30 companies. The S&P 500 made up of the 500 largest companies in the United States, but only 500 companies. The NASDAQ made up of Everything on the NASDAQ exchange that isn't listed in other places that is extremely and extraordinarily tech heavy. That's the NASDAQ, not representative of all these other sectors and asset classes and countries that a family steward should be invested in. None of these are how your portfolio should look. Now, if your portfolio did, let's just say, have an investment in maybe an index fund that was tracking the S&P 500, well, your return year to date would be pretty good. In fact, it would be a little over 14% year to date looking at December 17th of 2020, minus whatever that fund cost to invest in these 500 companies. Pretty good. And for a lot of people, they look at that 14% and they say, that's the benchmark for my portfolio. And I want to walk you through what that means. 
But first, if you are just in the largest 500 companies, congratulations this year because you did pretty stinking good compared to more diversified portfolios, or at least year to date, which we're down to our last couple of weeks or few trading days. But the next thing is, I think you ought to rethink your strategy. Good job this year, but let's look at the past. The S&P 500 averages 10% per year. You're investing in just that. You get that minus the expenses. If you're in an index fund, if you're in a fund that's representing those 500 companies, you might be a little more or a little less depending on how that fund manager is doing. But research shows us looking back 20 years that these traditional active management funds don't do as well as the index on the whole. In fact, only 23% of them actually have beat the market. The other thing you need to consider if you're just in the S&P 500 is longevity. The S&P 500 is just one asset class, and just one asset class can be very dark times for a long period of time in different parts of history. For example, the S&P 500, yes, good this year, but let's look at between 2000 and 2009. The S&P 500 was one of the worst performing asset classes. It averaged negative 1% per year. So think about yourself. In retirement, you have a million dollars. And at the end of 10 years, you have $900,000 in the S&P 500 in your investments. You lost $100,000. It took 10 years to lose $100,000. It's not a good strategy as you are saving and then in retirement. One asset class is not. That's why I say congratulations this year, but rethink your strategy. For your 401k, for your IRA, likely... You have many asset classes. You have many different mutual funds that track different things. So while the S&P 500 has done a little over 14%, let's look at some of these other asset classes. Well, in the United States, there's not only 500 companies that trade on the stock exchanges. There's thousands. So you might be investing in a small company mutual fund or index fund. That doesn't track the S&P 500. That tracks the Russell 2000 index, which most people never see. That index is doing pretty good this year. Hasn't. It's just come back these quarters. And I'm all these percentages that I'm about to give you are just the benchmarks, just the indexes, not an investment, not anything you can invest in, but it is the benchmark. Russell 2000 was down most of the year, had a really strong October and November, and is up now over 10%, but still not as good as the S&P 500. What if you're in some sort of a large value fund? Well, a lot of large company like blended funds or concentrated value, they're not just looking at the top 500 companies, they're looking at the top 1,000 companies, capturing some of that mid-cap space. So if you're investing a portion of your money in this asset class, well, your benchmark, again, not the S&P 500, it's the Russell 1000 Value Index, which I am gathering to think that most people listening to this podcast has never even looked at this benchmark. What if you're investing internationally? 
If you are and you're investing in developed large companies, you might be tracked with the MSCI World Index, excluding the U.S., XUS. Nothing to do with the S&P 500 at all. That asset class is up 2.91% as of 1130. Incidentally, that Russell 1000 Value Index, down 1% this year. And what if you have emerging markets? Again, not tracking the S&P 500. You're tracking the MSCI Emerging Markets Index, up a little over 10% this year. Again, had a really good fourth quarter so far, or at least the first two months. And if there's any real estate, if it's U.S. real estate that's in your portfolio, well, you're tracking the Dow Jones U.S. Select REIT Index, or for global REITs, maybe the S&P Global REIT Index. You got to know your benchmark, because if you're in a bunch of different asset classes, such as the ones that I just outlined, and there are hundreds of other benchmarks that are out there, your benchmark isn't the S&P 500. And chances are that you are underperforming the S&P 500 because the S&P 500 is about the best performing asset class this year. So here you are thinking your benchmark is the S&P 500. And you look at your 401k or your IRA, and it's less than the S&P 500. What do you do? If you're not informed that the S&P 500 wasn't your benchmark to begin with, and that it's not a great benchmark because it's only representative of 500 companies, and it has poor long-term performance in very long periods of time sometimes, which is why we love... (laughs) diversification to begin with. But here you are, S&P up 14.5%, your portfolio less. And you think your benchmark is the S&P 500. Well, I'm proud of a lot of people because when the market dropped a ton in March, most people did not get out of the market. That's a great thing. However, I'm not proud of a lot of people because a lot of people have been chasing returns ever since. S&P 500 is doing well. They're doing worse than the S&P 500. I need to make some changes in my portfolio. And that's exactly what they do. And you look at your 401k, what's the best recent past returns? And we make adjustments because by golly, we got to do something because I'm underperforming the S&P 500, even though that's not your benchmark to begin with. And that, my friends, has cost investors millions and millions of dollars. Let me just give you one example. Okay, I've told you. S&P 500, up 14.5% this year. I'm rounding now, but that's okay. U.S. small value, about even for the year. Severely underperforming the S&P 500. So you go to your 401k at the end of the third quarter and you say, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of these other funds doing better than my small cap that's concentrating on value funds. I'm making a change. So October 1st, you make a change. You get into some sort of mutual fund that's probably tracking something like the S&P 500. If it's tracking the growth side of it, it's even better than the 15%. Because remember, this whole recovery before the fourth quarter was a lot on very few companies. Fang, 
Facebook, Apple, Google, Amazon, Netflix, technology. You look at the NASDAQ index, it's exploding. It's doing great because of technology. And you want to chase some of that. Well, you know what happened to the people in the dot-com bubble in the early 2000s that chased tech? Chase this, these large tech companies or these up-and-coming tech companies, guess what happened? They lost over 90% of their portfolio. But let's get back to this year. You couldn't take it anymore. You made a move. You sold that small value. You put it into the S&P 500 or something tracking that, something that's going to get you a better return, right? But here's your problem, my friend. Here's the biggest problem. You took all this risk in this small company value fund. You took the risk, but you didn't stick around for the return. So let's fast forward just two months to 11-30-2020. How is the S&P 500 done? Well, it's done pretty well. It's up 10% almost. Actually, I think it's up a little more than 10% since the beginning of the quarter. Because at the end of the quarter, it was only up around 4 It's grown 10%. Great. You might even think you made the right move. Maybe you moved $100,000. That $100,000 now might be close to $111,000. Congratulations. But what about that small value space? That was just laying an egg all year long. You couldn't take it. Well, what we saw, my friends, was mean reversion. Mean reversion is that this small value, actually, if I look past 90-some years, averages over 2% better than the S&P 500. And so it was down so much compared to the S&P 500. Eventually, it gets back to where it should be because small value is a little riskier than the S&P 500. Small value, up 325 percent since October 1st. I'm just talking about the index now, not an investment that you can invest in. But think again, you had that 100, you moved it, turned into 111, you're patting yourself on the back, when in reality, if you would have stayed disciplined and had patience, that $100,000 you moved would be 132500 Now, small value still has a ways to go. S&P is still better, but you're there chasing the hot dot. That's not right for you. That's not what a family steward should be doing. Although you think to yourself on October 1st, when you made those movements, that you took action, that you did the right thing for your family. You're paying attention to these returns (laughs) when really you did the opposite. Because sometimes, and I talk about this a lot, Doing nothing at all is totally doing something because staying in your seat is hard. Staying in the market, I think we proved in March, was pretty easy for a lot of us. But staying in our seat and our investments is hard work. Now, there's a lot of things you can do, like strategic rebalancing, tax loss harvesting, householding your accounts, none of which I'm going to get into detail today. But those are taking action on things that you can control with your portfolio all while practicing patience and discipline. Staying in your seat, practicing patience and discipline is the family stewardship thing to do. And with the right investment policy statement, that is what will help you 
be the best family steward that you can be. What about you? Do you have an investment policy statement that says, hey, I'm going to invest a percentage of this in this asset class, a percentage of this in that asset class. And do you want the S&P 500? Yes, you want the diversification. Portfolios that I build, the stock allocation has 20% of the S&P 500. We have captured that asset class this year. But a smart family stewardship approach to investing includes so many more asset classes so that we can practice good diversification, so that we practice patience, so that we practice discipline, that we follow our investment policy statement, so that we set our families up for the greatest chance for success. So what can you do now? First, go back and look at your IRA, look at your 401k. Is it all in U.S. largest 500 companies? And if it is, the S&P is your benchmark. How is your portfolio doing compared to your benchmark? If it's not, and chances are it's not, stop thinking about the S&P 500 being your benchmark because that will drive you crazy. It'll make you really happy maybe next year when all these other asset classes are killing the S&P 500. Mean reversion. Remember what I said? But it'll drive you crazy in years like these. So figure out what your benchmark is. Figure out your blended benchmark of your portfolio. And that's something you can track. That's something you can hang on to. That's something that would allow you to make a change if a change was necessary. But not looking at some benchmark that has nothing to do with your complete and total portfolio. Let's stay in our seats. Let's stay patient and let's stay disciplined so we, as family stewards, give our family the greatest chance for success. My time is up, my friends. I have to go, but I will see you in two weeks on the flip side. Bye-bye, everybody. Best in Wealth Podcast is hosted by Scott Wellens. Scott Wellens is the principal at Fortress Planning Group. Fortress Planning Group is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities Act of Wisconsin in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Fortress Planning Group does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Best in Wealth Podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.